Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Alpha podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, John. Excellent. Um, today, we're going to have a, a quick chat uh, about the state of uh, the markets, um, as we often do. Um, and then we're going to uh, turn to uh, maybe one or two companies. I think Ash did. Uh, you wrote about in your Alpha report this week, and I think uh, it's probably worth a, worth a look. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's one, one, that, I, one that I like. Yeah, but but not without headwinds, and those headwinds kind of relate to uh, the headwinds we're going to talk about in in our general market uh, roundup. Um, what what are you seeing this week, Phil? I know I know we, we had a little chat last week about, and I often do about the markets and and the kind of dismay with with which we look upon them. Um, what are, what are you seeing now? Well, I think I think there's a lot of headwind now in these markets. I think it's I'm personally struggling to think what. What gets these markets in general to to move higher? I think we've had a lot of themes in terms of government support, central bank money printing, um, the reflation trade, and I think I think a lot of these themes are pretty pretty long in the tooth now, and I and I'm not sure I'm not sure what can happen to. Uh, for them to for them to actually push share prices in general much higher, and I think it's come back now to what it should always really be about, and it's about earnings growth, cash flow growth, and sustainable earnings growth and cash flow growth. And I think there's a lot of things pushing against potential earnings in terms of things, you know, cost pressures and and so on. We come on to those. I mean, in terms of the sort of broad stimulus um you know you say there's not a lot more that can be done but but, you know some of the um sums that have been talked about in terms of um sort of infrastructure spending plans all that kind of stuff that that money hasn't yet hit the sort of real economy um so so can we expect a boost from that as as those plans start coming to fruition or or has it already just simply been priced in no i think i think there is boost to come from that um in terms of profits, whether whether some of that's priced in, I, I think some of it has been priced in. Um, I think the more important question is, what what are the effects of all this spending? Because, you know, you put demand into the economy, the government writes checks and wants to spend money, but there has to be production, supply, to meet to meet that demand, and if there's too much money chasing too little supply, prices will rise. And if prices do rise, then even even if you get companies that benefit from this, if there's a rise in, in inflation, and that inflation and the key thing about inflation is is how sustainable that that increase in inflation is then the share price is not going to benefit from it. If anything, you could have the situation, like like we've had you know, in so many instances over the last few years when earnings have been going down but share prices have been going up because people believe that the central bankers will step in and print money and cut interest rates and make everything good. Um, you could actually have a situation now where that they, the government comes in and spends money, but if it creates inflation, share prices will actually go down. 
I mean, the, the government wants inflation. I mean, they have borrowed a huge amount of money. Um, you know, not not just in in the past year or so to deal with COVID, but 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 over years and years since certainly since the great financial crisis. So so you know, inflation is is good for them. You know, is there a point at which it becomes bad? What is the yeah, point at which it becomes I mean, bad? Yeah, well, it is bad. You know, inflation is always bad. But but the this, governments want inflation. The central banks yeah, want inflation. Yeah, but, but voters don't. Households don't. You know, this and this is this is the whole one of the big themes that have been playing out for years in the central bankers tell you that a bit of inflation is good for you. And the only reason that inflation is good is if you have a lot of debt and then you can use inflated money, pounds, dollars, what have you, to repay the debt, which doesn't inflate. Debt stays the same, doesn't inflate. So if you can inflate the money to pay back that debt you can pay back that debt faster but generally speaking you know <clears throat> when prices go up and particularly if prices go up faster than people's wages that makes people worse off so the government has to be very careful with what it wishes for um and you know i think i think that the the whole investing world or large parts of the investing world have almost begun to view the economy as like a central heating system where if it gets a little bit hot or a little bit cold, you can just go to the dial and turn it a little bit and make it all nice again. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced that the world works like that. I think it's like you think you, you tinker with it, but actually behind, behind the scenes there's a big crack developing. And then if you keep tweaking it and tweaking it eventually this thing will just give way and um you know we are we we seem to be going from one problem to another you know for the last 20 years from the dot-com boom to the financial crisis to the eurozone crisis covid and the one the one common theme is that is interest rates are non-existent and debt levels are going through the roof and um, sooner or later you know you're going to have to have income to you need income to service that and I, I just think I just think that this kind of danger has almost been been swept under the carpet and people are people are actually very complacent about it well you, you had a lot of talk um, sorry, six months ago maybe a little bit more about you know modern monetary theory um that, that this was you know this was the answer you know that, 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 that there should be no limits on government borrowing that, it, that it's not a, it's, it doesn't matter that, that you know they're, they're, again you can sort of turn the central heating up or yeah. down in terms of taxation to, 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 to be able to do this to, to make modern monetary theory work yeah this seems to be the road you know policymakers are heading down yeah um, and because it's... it maybe it seems like the only road yeah well, well maybe it is it's, it's, it, Ooh, they, sorry, it's... do that again yeah well maybe it is Sorry. Maybe it is, but they're trying to. They're just trying to kick the card. Sorry, kick the can down the road. Now, I think modern monetary theory is, to me, it's just intellectual bankruptcy. I think it's appalling. Don't get me wrong, right? The printing of money after the financial crisis and in COVID has has helped. Right, but printing money 
does not generate economic prosperity. If it did, then it would be easy. It is, it is the production and the provision of goods and services that create prosperity. And this, you know, fact, if you think you can print money and then mop it up with increasing taxes, which is what my very basic understanding of modern monetary theory is, you know, you print it, and if there's a problem, oh, you can take the money out of the economy by taxing people. Um, it's, it's, it's got things the wrong way around. The, the, the key is production of goods and services. And it, it is, it is, that, that is the real economy, not, not the money economy. And we, we have a situation which has been developing over decades and decades and is, is, is the financialization of the economy and that the money side of it, which is meant to stem from the production side of it, dominates everything. Some people refer to it as the tail wagging the dog. And, you know, inflation, inflation does not solve. It solves debt problems. If, you, if you're a borrower, it solves, it solves a debt problem. But if you destroy the buying power of currency by doing it, you create even worse problems. And it, it is certainly not a free lunch. And to think that you can contain it at 2%, um, well, we'll see about that. I mean, we are already seeing some signs that, you know, certainly, maybe not across the board, but, but, but you know, of um, inflationary spikes in, in, in certain, certain commodities, um, you know, beyond the, beyond the markets, which we know have, have obviously benefited from, from stimulus. Um, you know, this, this inflationary pressure is finding its way into the real world now. It um, is, and, and uh, you know one of the, one of the most interesting places where we're seeing it is in uh, sort of building materials. Yeah, um, which is something I think I think you mentioned that uh, Travis Perkins had spoken of this recently. Yeah, I and mean, Travis Perkins sort of what a week ten days ago were very, you know, very open in saying that um, timber prices, copper prices, um, just general material prices are. Are going up, you know. Go to your local supermarket, and you know prices are prices are going up. Petrol prices are a lot higher um, than they were a year ago. I mean, a year ago, they you know consumers were benefiting. You know, you could fill up for less than a pound a litre. You're now what paying what one twenty five. You know that. I mean, it's not. <clears throat> it's not as you know. Two year on two year, there's probably not not much change, but year on year, there's quite a big change. And energy as well. I think energy is becoming an issue. You know, you've had companies like um, Forterra, the brick brick makers. You know, making bricks is a very energy intensive business, and you know they're they're flagging up. Um, you know, energy costs are going to rise. I, 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 just from a personal personal experience, I'm looking at probably I'm, I'm on a I look at my gas and electricity bill, and I'm on a two year fix, which is due to end in July, and I'm looking at probably twenty five percent increase in the unit cost of electricity. You know that's quite quite a big hit. So. That there's going to be pressure on on household budgets as well as company profits. Travis Perkins, you know, they think they can pass it on. 
um, because they've always been able to pass it on. And builders, you know, builders will then try and pass that on to their to their customers. And that will generally cause cause inflation to rise. But if 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 the customer, and let's say the customer is of working age, isn't getting a pay increase, that's that's gonna that's that's gonna become very noticeable. That's gonna damage consumer household purchasing power. Uh, presumably as well, you know, if uh, if workforces are experiencing this this inflation in in terms of things they're buying, they are going to be there were going to be some sort of uh, feisty discussions. One would imagine in companies about pay. Um, so so potentially yet another pressure then for companies to, to to deal with pressure on earnings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, pay pay is a big issue. You know, we we have a, we have a situation where you know again. 40, a 40, 50 year trend that, that I refer to. So many things that have gone on. And one of them has been the, the um, lower and lower bargaining power of, uh, of workers. And, you know, workers' share of the cake has been getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, shareholders' size of the cake, managers' size of the cake has been getting bigger. And, you know, you don't have trade unions, powerful trade unions now to try and redress that balance. Um, usually what, what will happen is um, pay inflation will probably will come through things like shortages, just skill shortages. And there's evidence of that happening. I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, about how, you know, there's a massive shortage of carpenters. Um, plumbers, electricians, and you know you've got carpenters, electricians earning three hundred and fifty, four hundred pounds a day on um, on building sites. You know, in, in the south of England, south southeast of England, and um, time, time to retrain. Time to retrain. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be good though. You've got to be able to. You've got to be able to lay quite a few bricks in an hour. To, Brick, brick laying is a very skilled job. Indeed, it is doing it doing it well. So it's thing it's things like that. And but I think I think the view is is that there's probably quite a lot of surplus labour about. Um, you know, just in, certainly in sections of the economy that have been hurt by by COVID and COVID lockdowns, and that wage inflation there probably is not is not going to be a massive a massive issue. And I think. This is this is this is really where it comes down to you know how how is inflation created? Um, it's not through an expansion in in the amount of money in the economy. It you need that, but you need people then to spend that money. And what's been going on for the last ten or fifteen years is that the wealth effect from printing money and cutting interest rates has gone into asset prices. So it's gone into house pricing, it's gone into stock pricing, bond pricing, and not all that. A lot of those gains have not been spent, and and it's not gone into the into the into real consumer prices, and that is what you need. That I think is what you need for inflation. You know, one of the things that you need for a sustained increase in inflation to to take hold. Yes, you can get supply shortages and, and things like devaluation of currencies, which you 
are other drivers of inflation. But generally speaking, if we look at inflation historically, it has been money going into the pockets of households and those households spending it faster than goods and services can be produced. Now, there's probably some slack from as, as things get back to speed from COVID, which could lead to that kind of situation. We've also got, I mean, you have supply squeezes. You know, we've talked about, yeah. we've talked about you know, um, supply squeezing in uh, building materials. So, you know, it's hard to buy things like cement and plasterboard at the moment. Yeah. We'll come back onto that because I want to talk about the, the impact of that on, on house building and, and, and construction in the UK. Um, but, but there is this idea that, you know, we've imported deflation. Uh, in fact, not an idea, a fact. You know, we, we've used low-cost producers, China in particular. Um, and, and there are lots of things that sort of suggest that that, that era maybe sort of i wouldn't say coming to an end but but certainly rowing back from the, the extent of global globalization that we'd previously seen um presumably that will be inflationary as well yeah i mean i mean this this is this is a big theme that could take hold you know in, in terms of low cost manufacturing lower cost labor um outsourcing of labor um to cheaper to cheaper countries I think the environmental issue will become part of this. I think if we, if if people want to look at buying stuff that's produced more locally rather than shipped on a container ship halfway around the world, um, then the cost of that is is going to go up. Um, and I think generally environmental the push by governments um, to, to 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 meet environmental targets is going to cost households a lot of money. Yeah, you know, swapping out swapping out gas boilers for air, you know, air source pumps um, is exp- is an expensive outlay, and you know, there's a lot of debate that goes on as to where, how cheap these systems are to run. Basically, on the it comes down to how strong you think the efficiency coefficient is um, on on air source pumps. Does it does it bring down the running costs to the same as a gas boiler? In the winter, some people say it does, some people say it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then, you know, households are going to have massive pressures on their finances by heating their houses through electricity. Yep, it's something I'm looking at at the moment for one of the conversions we're doing here. In fact, this room I'm, I'm sitting in at the moment, I'm told that air source heating is very noisy. <laughs> Can be. Can we, yeah. Um, so that so that would be a bit of a problem, particularly in urban areas. I mean, all these things. I don't know. A lot of it doesn't feel very thought through. Uh, nice big picture statements about greening the economy and spending trillions of pounds doing it or dollars. Um, but 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 really, you know, the devil to me seems like it's in the detail of delivery. How do you actually do this? Yeah, but I think I think the bottom line on this is, you know, the the reason why people are so um, investors are so focused and concerned about inflation is because it has potential to do a lot of damage to share prices in in two ways and i mean essentially investing is all about growing the buying power of your money so you want you you say you invest a pound today in the hope that the value of that pound will grow faster than prices and buy more stuff in the future if inflation takes off, it becomes harder for company profits for some companies to grow faster than inflation 
and increase the buying power of money. But the other impact is on valuation. And, you know, you can talk about uh, the higher inflation you have, the more money is worth today than it is in the future. When inflation is low, the prospect of more money in the future is worth more today. But when inflation is high, it's worth less. And you have a lot of companies that have been driven by very rosy expectations about how much money they're going to make in the future. And the market's priced it in as a given. Now, if you have inflation, that, that, that sort of relationship and that sort of mindset breaks down. I'm going to give you a very simple example. Okay, So we know what, what you look at is the real rate of return on your money. Now, bonds have been about 1% there or thereabouts for a while. Now, bonds have yielded, their interest rate has been less than inflation. One of the reasons why people have flocked in, or the main reason why people have flocked into shares is because the yield, so the earnings yield or the free cash flow yield, so the earnings or the profits as a percentage of the share price have been higher than inflation and can grow. Now, the gap between those yields and inflation has actually been getting smaller. Now, if you have a company, you know, a lot of highly rated companies, those that have profits, by the way, not the ones that don't have profits, but, you know, established big global super companies, you know, might trade on 2 or 3% free cash flow yield. In a world where inflation is 1%, that's still 2% more, more than inflation. So with growth, you can grow the buying power of your money. If inflation is 5% and stays stubbornly at 5% and is expected to stay that way, then a, a share with a 2% free cash flow yield in a world of 5% inflation doesn't look as good. And what will happen is that the share price will fall so that the yield goes up. And that's what potentially can drive share prices down. And that's why people are so worried about it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it sounds like um, uh, it's sensible to, to, to have that on the radar. I think, I think you know, the assumption that, that has previously, you know, driven prices higher, that, that, you know, we won't see inflation at those levels has been based on, you know, zero interest rate policies. That, that's been the prevailing view. And, you know, I mean, this, this talk of inflation, is, it seems like a relatively recent phenomenon that people are starting to get genuinely worried about it. Um, well, there are people. There are people managing money that have probably never experienced. You know, if you've got fund managers and people in their sort of mid twenties, they've probably never experienced any inflation. They don't know what it's like. They've never lived through it. But I think the big question is you. It is a question for you, John, and everybody else. Do you think you know if inflation takes off? Do you really think that the governors? Of, of the central banks around the world will raise interest rates to, to take it. Because if they do, they're going to bring down all, all, all the, the asset prices, house prices, share prices, and the wealth effect that's come through that. Should we talk, should we talk quickly about housing? Because in yeah. your, your Alpha report, you, you mentioned uh, uh, Taylor Wimpy um, this week. Now, now you know, just going back to what we were talking about in terms of uh, building materials, my worry about shortages and price increases in, in the building materials space is that, that this is such an important driver of the UK economy. Are yeah. we seeing anything coming through the house builders' figures that, that suggest concerns there? 
And, you know, concerns about staff shortages, it's set skill shortages. Not yet. Not yet. I mean, we've got house price inflation again to bail, bail them out. You know, we've had, we've had, you know, the land, the land prices are essentially locked in. You know, you, they've bought the land or they've got agreement for the land or they've got strategic land that, that, that's locked in on, on, a, on a particular building site. So that's, an, that's a given. Build cost inflation has typically been running at sort of 3 4%. So as long as you've got sort of house price inflation of around that similar level, maybe a little bit less, your margins aren't going to get hit. Because because you you've got such a massive fat margin built in built into the land the price you paid for the land, um, and also things like materials and stuff are you know can be bought forward can be hedged, but only so, so far. But only so far. Yeah, the key the key risk the key risk that the builders have always I'm not sure house price and um, raw material inflation. Not yet. It could it could happen, and the thing is, you know, do do the builders have the ability to to raise prices, raise selling prices to offset that? Probably not, because because they've probably gone from a situation where they were price makers under uh, you know the early starts of help to buy, which allowed them to price at a premium, and I'm I'm not sure they have the same pricing power anymore. They certainly don't have the same pricing power under the new help to buy because they've got regional price caps. So if you've got certain types of property that are quite a lot below the regional price caps, you might be able to raise prices to offset it. But you're always competing with stuff that's in the local market and you don't want the premium differential between the new price and the existing price to get too big because people just say, well, I'm not buying it. Um, the key, the key thing for house builders will be what happens when um, the stamp duty holiday ends, because it just seems like there's an absolute stampede now for housing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hear about people who are, you know, thinking of selling up because because the prices they think they can get are so so generous, um, and it's it won't last. And the government, the government has stoked a market that didn't need stoking. Kel surprise, you know that's what it always does because it knows it always goes back to housing, right? It's it's incredibly lame, and it's um, it's a sad reflection on how how our economy is put together. But time after time after time, governments. Just press the housing button. Is it, I mean, is is that because there's not a lot else they can do? How, how the housing market is one that they can they can have an enormous impact on. You know, they, yeah. they can pull levers and things happen in the housing market. You know, you, you talked earlier about you know creating a productive economy, producing things. You know, yeah. it's much harder for the government to organise that on any scale across multiple industries. They're, they're not they're not the consolidated industry like the house building kind no. of is. But it's but you see yeah it just, but it comes back to you know house prices the other side of house pricing is is credit you know where where's the money coming from to to pay these pay these prices where's the money where's how's the money getting into the buyers' pockets it's not it's not the piggy banks it's it's you know it's banks 
Um, some of, some of the mortgages now are looking really, really cheap. You know, you can you can borrow now for virtually next to nothing on some two two to three year fixes. I think they're they're also making it much easier to borrow, um, you know, much larger amounts relative to deposit size. Um, yeah, ninety five percent mortgages again, um, or, or rather, uh, sort of more of them rather than, than than being available. So, so you know, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, house building and banks coexist. The government needs knows it needs to keep keep this show on the road because it does. It you know it it has a really big effect. You know, if pe- people's house house values go, people spend money. You know, they they move house. They you know they then have things done to their housing, and you know that's that that creates work. It creates demand for materials, often materials that aren't made in this country, by the way. But never mind. I mean, it's like, but you, but you know what I mean. It, it stimulates. It creates it creates demand, but it but it's not sustainable demand because the demand is backed by debt. This is very depressing. Yes, John. I, yes, I it is. I don't really like, you know. <laughs> I, yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, so so let's let's move on to Ashted, um, which which you like uh, and have lots of positive things to say about. So let's let's talk positively about Ashted to uh, to wrap the podcast <laughs> I, up. I, I, think, I think I think we talk positively about a lot of things. Oh, I, think, I think we just try and we just try and you know we're not going to talk positively about things that we just can't be positive. But, yeah, Ashdead, I mean, this this has been a really, really good business. And I I don't think that the... I don't think the end is over on this. I don't think the end is near on this. And um, I I think I've described this company in the past as like having a having an in, having a savings account that pays 20% interest and you just put more money into it every year and earn 20% or there or thereabouts interest in it that's a little bit too simplistic because this business and for those of you who don't know Ash, ashdead if you best way to describe ashdead if you look at a building site and look at all the um Equipment on there, diggers, forklift trucks, mobile platforms. Look at the tools that the builders are working with. That's what Ashdead does. Ashdead rents them out and it makes good money on them. And it's done a brilliant job, particularly in America, of building out more and more rental sites in very prosperous areas where lots of building work mainly non-residential construction and it's taken market share as well as as well as grow benefiting from a growth market and it's made lots of money and it looks like the, the potential is there for it to still make lots of money um, because it is growing growing its its sites its greenfield sites the market is incredibly fragmented. There are lots of very small, medium-sized equipment rental companies that don't have the scale and the buying power to, to, to provide the equipment at the, at the prices that people want. And so companies like Ashdead and the, the other big one in America, is a company called United Rentals, um, they've been consolidating this market and being able to buy up these companies, integrate them into their existing sites, 
take out cost, make extra profit. But um, Ashdead had a capital markets day for investors last week, and it had a pretty bullish message. And the bullish message is that the existing market can still grow, but there's lots of other areas which they're not doing as much of where they can make a lot more money. So things like um, temporary power generation, temporary heating, air conditioning, scaffolding, flooring. And I'm not talking about flooring that goes in offices, but you know, quite often in building sites and around building sites, um, you'll get like something that like, looks like sort of wooden boarded out for pedestrians to walk across. Stuff like that is rented. It's basically all site infrastructure, anything you need. Yeah, anything pumps, you need. things yeah. like pumps. So the stuff that might be provided by other companies at the moment but it can be bundled up to existing customers saying, hey, look, you want a forklift truck, you can have a pump as well. You can have um, an air conditioning unit as well. So does this, um, take, does this take it head-to-head with someone like a Greco then in into power generation? Little bits of it, I think it probably does, yeah. Interesting. Maybe, maybe not, but I mean, a Greco does a lot with things like events, doesn't yeah. it? You know, And it's not really that. This is more to, in terms of construction projects. And the need for sort of maybe a, a long-term rental of, of certain assets. So I wouldn't say it's a real threat to the likes of a Greco, but it's doing similar kinds of stuff in terms of renting that kind of equipment, but maybe to, but to a different customer base. And the outlook here, the outlook here is really good. Um, and I think if you if you look at what they're trying to do over the next three years. Um, you know, the, the, if, and, and you look at it in terms of, you know, what's out there in the market for forecasts. I think forecasts too low. And, that, and, I, and the other thing is that is Ashdead is, is issuing the kind of guidance that doesn't take into account the big infrastructure spending that's coming. So it doesn't, they haven't no, accounted for that? No, 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 that doesn't, that, that's not taken into account as far as I can see. Don't think I'm wrong. I think I think I've read, the way I've read this is this is a this is a share of the market. This is almost like a share grab as 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 the market exists today, rather than <clears throat> being reliant on 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 whatever. However, yes. spending plans are delivered. Yeah. So this is like saying this. These are the kind of things that we could have now that are going to take us two or three years to to build up share. Um, and then and then the growth that comes with that. Um, with, because it's going to take time for this money that the, the American government's, but that's going to take time to come you know, to actually hit hit the building sites. So, you know, this this is a really good really good business, and it's not you know it's not just a a building play as well. I think one of the big misunderstandings of Ashdead, I include myself in this. It's take, you know it's taken a few years of looking at this and and, and building up your knowledge on it that. Actually, a lot of this business is quite defensive. I was going to ask you because, you know, it has a reputation for being a very cyclical business. Construction has a reputation for being a cyclical industry. Yeah, so, and, it, and, it, and it is. But, but a lot of its business is like repairs and maintenance, which tends to tick over. And I, you know, I think you've seen, you've seen the resilience of Ashdead in the last 12 months. So, yeah, the profits... profits you know, don't grow. What happens is, is that the company turns off turns off its expansion plans, so it doesn't 
doesn't take on more equipment assets to rent out. It just keeps hold of roughly what it's got, generates a lot of cash flow, pays down the debt, and then it starts the next cycle in a really strong strong position where it can then start you know stronger than its competitors and it can start moving again. And I think we're in a situation where Ashdead is um, that's where it is. So, so one other question I would have about this company, um, you know, it has been run for a long time or had been run for a long time <clears throat> by a guy called Jeff Drabble, yeah. who, who was a fantastic chief exec. Um, Philip Ryland did a, a great piece on, on sort of value for money from, uh, from the bosses and he came out on top. Um, but he's retired, am I right? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, management matters. Have you, are you happy with the continuity there? Does it, you know, does it trouble you that, that, that the architect of all this is no longer with the business? Mo, I think the culture within the company is pretty much the same. And I think the thing that you've got to look at with these rental businesses is that they are essentially individual businesses. Each of these sort of 900 sites that, uh, that Ashton has in America, they'll, they'll be run almost like separate companies. You know, you'll have somebody running, running that depot or whatever you want to call it. And... You know the, the scope to int- to sort of keep a sort of it's like you know it's like Howard and Joinery. Howard and Joinery sort of run like a, I don't know how many sites they've got. I've lost count. But you know it's like an individual business, and the managers are in are incentivized. And yes, you get strategic direction from from the top, but gen- generally the the managers of these businesses are out there running these businesses as if they were their own, and they're you know they're winning new customers and. and it's actually quite a simple business, you know. You grow, you grow your fleet. You keep, you keep the fleet on hire as long as possible, and you try and keep your pricing in. You know, you stop. Hopefully, you don't have to cut your pricing. If you do those three things, um, you make a lot of money. The one question, of course, that, that we always ask when we hear about uh, wonderful investment opportunities is: is the price right? Well. The price is a lot higher than it was, um, and the valuation, you've seen a big increase in the, in the earnings multiple of this thing, about 26 times. Um, you know, six months ago, you could have bought Ashdead for a sub-20, um, and it's, it's a punchy multiple. And, and the only, re- only way you, I think you can pay a multiple like this for a share like this is if you believe that the earnings will grow faster than what what, pe- what people currently expect, and I, for what it's worth, I think they will. All right. Well, um, there is a very positive note to uh, to end on. Who does thought yeah. it talking about machine hire? Actually, I'll be hiring a digger myself at some point very soon, and I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> I've never had yeah. a go on a digger. Yeah. Um, oh, good fun. Yeah, very good fun. Brilliant, Phil. Um, well, thanks again for uh, for uh, for joining this week. Um, loads of other companies in your alpha. What else have you uh, talked about this week? Uh, I talked about Taylor Wimpy, which we've touched on. Talked a bit about AB Foods, um, Money Supermarket. Where you know where on earth is that company going? Um, I'm not sure. Um, so there, there are a few few of the companies that I've that, that I've talked about. Excellent. Well, if you want to sign up to that, head over to the website and uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.